God, Pastor Rich Shavatsky is going to come and read the scriptures for us in a moment, and he hardly needs an introduction, but for the handful of folks that don't know the Zavatsky, it's good to have the Zavatsky's back with us. It's hard to believe they've been gone for 10 years. Eric was uh, just a one-year-old or so when they left, and of course, Luke was born right after, and, uh, and then of course, Katia, and they've been doing a wonderful job up in Jackson, Michigan, Loomis Park Baptist Church. I've been there, done that uh, several times, of course. We do that again here real soon here. And the Lord's blessed them in a great, great way. We're glad to have Pastor Rich this morning to preach the Word of God. Uh, he's uh, going to preach a different message than he preached this morning. He did a grand slam, of course, in a 15th service, of course, and, uh, but he always does it. So he's got a different message. going to preach from Philippians this morning, I understand. God bless, uh, bless you, Pastor Rich. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, sir. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles, please. Philippians chapter 2 will <clears throat> give our responsive reading and then... I believe, Pastor, I'm going to sing a special, and then, then you'll have your praise chorus. Okay. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, reading responsively. I'll read the odd-numbered verses, <clears throat> and you read the even-numbered verses with me through verse number 9. Book of Philippians <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and reading responsively. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, <clears throat> that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, <clears throat> but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we were, had the privilege of being here last fall and... Uh, uh, just enjoyed our time, and uh, we came out for a, a diff more difficult reason this time. My my uncle had passed away in the spring, and um, he was interned up in Agawam at the Massachusetts uh, Veterans Cemetery. So we came for that, had that on Friday, but we've been able to spend time with Pastor and see precious people whom we love. Uh, we, we loved our time here. I, I really do get... Uh, choked up when I think about how God blessed when we were here, and and I have a funny story to tell about your pastor. It's always good uh, to tell a funny story about your pastor. But when we first came, I told this story yesterday, so I'm not tattling. Amen. Uh, when we first came, uh, we were at Mountain View Baptist Church for five years, and uh, <clears throat> the Lord, we we knew very clearly that the Lord was leading us um, away. Uh, pastor Tharp had been there for 19 years. And um, he left, and uh, Pastor Korea, who's now been there 14 years, Pastor, can you believe that? Just how quick things go. He was coming, and, and um, 
we knew that we wanted to push people towards their new pastor and kind of, you know, step back. And I always think of Brother Ray John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. And that was just what the Lord put on our heart. And so at that same time, by the hand of God, pastor called us and said, uh, you know, asked us if we'd be interested in uh, getting a bite to eat and maybe talking about some things. And, and uh, so I remember, I remember clearly we were at the Macaroni Grill and uh, my wife and I and Pastor, and, uh, and uh, we just started talking about things. And I worked in the aerospace industry when I was here. I worked in Enfield um, and just had a good job. While the whole time I worked at Mountain View, I worked in the aerospace industry. And, uh, and then Pastor said, uh, he said, now, now we want to take you on full time. And uh, I remember telling him, I said, well, why don't we, why don't we give it a few months and just see how things are going and, and, and all that. I said, I have a good job right now and good benefits. And, and so about two months later, he, we're in the office. He says, oh, 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 I, I don't know what I was thinking. I can't even pay me full time. <laughs> and uh, that was just, you know, the Lord, the Lord blessed, amen. The Lord blessed in, in, in our time here and, um, you know, we're going to talk about in Philippians today. We have a specific topic, but um, and I want to, Lord willing, I want to preach tonight. I hope you'll come back tonight. I want to, I want to preach tonight on a simple message just entitled "The Glue of the Church." The glue. What is it that holds this church together? Um, and uh, I hope you'll come back tonight. There's a great scripture to read on that. But you know, when you when you love people and people love the Lord, it's not hard to get along. It's just not. It, the problem is when we get into some of these other things creep in, and uh, pride and, and division and strife and, and all that. But uh, uh, Pastor and I, we just we had such a great time together. And I, you know, he's been here now almost thirty five years, which is just. Uh, I always kid with him. I said in New England, that's like dog years. You know, it's, it counts for like two hundred and ten. Amen. Uh, but you folks, and I know you love your pastor. You're you're blessed um, to have this man as your shepherd, and and he loves you, and um, I know you love him. So let's get into the book of Philippians here, just uh, uh, quickly. Um, I want to just by way of introduction, just look at the verses that we read today, and and uh, Paul Paul here he's making an appeal. And it's an appeal that he uh, did with another church. I, I've been privileged to be uh, studying uh, on, during our school year. We have a children's program at our church. And um, I have been going through the book of Ephesians, Pastor. I've been, we, we are in, I think, our 67th lesson in the book of Ephesians on Wednesday nights uh, during the school year. And it's literally taken us about four years because we take the summer off. And, uh, but... Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 32, Paul deals with the subject of unity. Unity and the importance of unity in, in a local church. And, and he starts here, he, he, he gives these ifs. You see him in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 2. He says, if there be any consolation in Christ. And uh, it's really a rhetorical statement, Pastor. He knows that there is consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love. He knows that there's comfort of love. If uh, any fellowship of the Spirit, there's fellowship of the Spirit in the church at Philippi. 
uh, if any bowels and mercies, that, that compassion. He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be what, church? Like-minded. So just by way of introduction today, uh, this, this church at Philippi, Paul was asking for them to be like-minded. Minded. Now, here's the wonderful thing. We, we talked about it in, in our men's prayer meeting yesterday. Uh, but how, uh, listen, uh, the body is the perfect example of diversity and harmony married together. You think about it. Amen. Listen, the elbow. The elbow is awesome. I wasn't flexing up here. I promise. Amen. The elbow. But the, the wrist is important too. They, they, they're different. Amen. What they do, the shoulder, what the shoulder does, the hand, the fingers, each one of your fingers is different. I know some of you say, oh, good night, they're lumpy or they're short or whatever. But do you know if you took your fingers, a regular human hand, and put it around a baseball pastor, do you know the distance to the middle of the ball is the same on each finger? Do you know that? It's an amazing thing. God, God shows us this. I always think of, whenever I think of harmony and diversity, Miss Hart, I think of a quartet. I think of a quartet. It's beautiful. They're all singing the same note, but in their different range. Amen? And in this church, listen, we're not talking about unity in unanimity. That's everybody has to be exactly the same. That is not what God wants. But God does want us to be in unity. And again, the body is a perfect example. When you hurt your wrist, your, you, you hurt your left wrist, what happens? Your right hand goes right over there. And starts rubbing it. And starts trying to help. And, try. and so he deals with this here. Being like-minded. Having a like mind. But then he also says, right after that, being like-minded, having the same what? Love. You know, the right kind of church, the right kind of people in the church, not only have a like mind, but they also have a loving mind. A loving mind. It starts with a love for him. When they came to Jesus and they, they, they tried to trip him up and they said, what's the, what's the great commandment in the law? He didn't hesitate, Pastor. He didn't say, boy, let me think about that. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, uh, a loving mind starts, first of all, with a love for God, a love for God's word, a love for God's people, and then a love for sinners. You know, there's a lot of people trying to love sinners. They don't love God's people. The order's wrong. Jesus is the one who said, A new commandment I write unto you. A new commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. You know, Pastor, I think uh, if a lost person were to come into the average fundamental church, they'd walk away saying, Not a lot of love here. At our church, boy, I, my favorite part of the service is the greeting time. It's a greeting time. You see people, and uh, we say I love you a lot around at our church. You know, Pastor, you've been there, amen. A loving mind, a like mind. Then we see something else. Verse 3, just by way of introduction, this church at Philippi. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in what church? Lowliness of mind. So we see a, a like mind, a loving mind. Then we see a lowly mind. Say, what is a lowly mind? Well, it tells us more uh, there. It's, it says, talks about let each esteem other better than themselves. In, in Ephesians, a sister passage to this, it talks about it in all meekness. Somebody said a great, great definition of humility is, somebody said, 
humility is not is is not uh, thinking of your uh, not thinking of others more than yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself. That's a good definition of humility. Not thinking of others more than yourself, but not thinking of yourself at all. Just just thinking, uh, having this lowly mind. I'll tell you what, uh, nobody, pastor, no business meeting ever went bad because somebody had a lowly mind. Someone ever was meek. And, 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 and by the way, the Lord Jesus said of himself that he was meek and lowly. What a compliment that is. So there's the like mind, there's the loving mind, there's the lowly mind. And then lastly, by way of introduction, uh, it says there, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's a looking mind. A looking mind. Uh, I, I've, I've had our, we had a deacons meeting not long ago, and I have wonderful deacons. I have, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, I think I have seven, seven deacons and... Um, at our church, and they're just wonderful men. And uh, uh, I said to those men, I said, men, let me ask you a question. During the greeting time, do you know when we have guests? And some of them, some of them just turn around, do their thing like many people do. But I said, you know what we need to have? We need to have a looking mind, looking for others. You know, when you look at others, you don't, you don't look at them and look at yourself as better, or you don't look at them and think, well, they're doing this. You look at them and think, how can I be a blessing to that person? That is literally what the second and great commandment is, to love your neighbor as yourself. When you're, you have that, he says, look not every man on his own things. You know, I think about this, Pastor. I think about uh, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, if I'm looking at the things of others, God looks after my things. Huh? So here he, he's appealing to unity, and he, he's appealing for this, this like mind, this, this, this loving mind, this lowly mind. And then this looking mind. And then he tells us who has that mind. In verse 5. What does he say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This like mind, this loving mind, this lowly mind, this looking mind, sums up, ladies and gentlemen, the mind of Jesus Christ. And then it, it tells us, what we already know. In verse 6, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Why? Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And here's where I want to focus today. This phrase, even the death of the cross. The death of the cross. The cross. It's inspired poets, songwriters, preachers, kings, and simple Christians like you and I throughout the ages. I see the cross on which he died in agony for me. I see the spear that pierced his side. I hear his dying plea. His hands and feet are bleeding fast. The wounds stand open wide. They speak my sins and sorrow past. I'll in those wounds abide. 
see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. In studying for this message, I was brought to the prepositional phrase of the cross, which occurs four times in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. So there's the preaching of the cross. Secondly, in Galatians 5, there's, the offense of the cross. Paul said in Galatians 5.11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So there's the preaching of the cross, the offense of the cross, the death of the cross here in Philippians 2.8. And then if you look over just a page at Philippians 3.18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross. We cannot help but take a look back at the cross with a sense of wonder. And ladies and gentlemen, those of us that are saved, we ought to do that more than just around Easter time. For it was the cross which brought hope to man. It was the cross that is the divider of all history. It is the cross that shows man God's just punishment for sin but it also shows God's infinite love for a lost world. Many of you remember the, the sayings of the Savior. I've preached several times, Pastor, a series of messages on the, the cross sayings. In Numbers 28, 3-4, uh, it talks about the daily sacrifice, the morning and the evening sacrifice that the Lamb was offered, morning at 9 a.m. and evening at 3 p.m. And we know that Jesus Christ hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., both morning and uh, evening offering the Lamb of God, amen, which was uh, for the sins of the world. The three morning cross utterances are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then Luke uh, 23, 43 says, He said to the thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then he said to his mother, uh, with, with the apostle John, he said, Woman, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. In essence, he said, Take care of my mother, John. And to his mother, he said, John's going to take care of you now. And then we have that awful cross utterance in the middle of the darkness. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then those final three in rapid succession, Jesus said, I thirst. Why? That the scriptures might be fulfilled. 
And then he said, Telelestai, it is finished. And then he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Today, with God's help, I, I'd like to, if we could, arrest your attention to this phrase, the death of the cross. And let's notice some things about this death of the cross. First of all, I want you to notice the immovability of the death of the cross. Verse 5, or again, verse 8 rather, says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the what? Of the cross. Each gospel writer wrote of the cross. Many times you'll read the gospels and you'll read of a specific incident and then you'll go to another gospel and you won't read it. Uh, by the way, it's good, good to have a study Bible, good to have uh, a harmony of the Gospels in your, your Bible. Uh, sometimes John will mention something that Luke didn't. But in this case, each Gospel writer wrote, Matthew twenty seven forty two says, And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Mark fifteen thirty says, Save thyself and come down from the cross cross. Luke 23, 26, and they led him away. They laid hold on one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. John 19, 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. I have in my library a book entitled the Reports, Letters, and Acts of Pontius Pilate. It was a collection of Pilate's correspondence used by Justin Martyr, referred to by Tertullian and Eusebius, and translated into English by Dr. Constantine Tischendorf. I read from you from pages 97 and 98. Pontius Pilate to Claudius, greeting. There has lately happened an event which I myself was concerned in. For the Jews through envy have inflicted upon themselves and on those coming after them dreadful judgments. Their fathers had promises that their God would send them his Holy One from heaven, who, according to reason, should be called their king. And he had promised to send them to the earth by the means of a virgin." He then, when I was procurator, came into Judea, and they saw him enlightening the blind, cleansing lepers, healing paralytics, expelling demons from men, raising the dead, subduing the winds, walking upon the waves of the sea, and doing many other wonders, and all the people of the Jews calling him the Son of God. Then the chief priests moved with envy against him, seized him, delivered him to me, and telling one lie after another, they said he was a wizard and did contrary to their law. And I, having believed those things were so, gave him up after scourging him to their will, and they crucified him. And after he was buried, set guards over him, but while my soldiers were guarding him, rose on the third day. 
And to such a degree was the wickedness of the Jews inflamed against him that they gave money to the soldiers, saying, Say his disciples have stolen his body. But they, having taken the money, were not able to keep silence as to what had happened. For they had testified that they had seen him risen and that they have received money of the Jews. These things have I reported, that no one should falsely speak otherwise, and that thou shouldest not suppose the falsehoods of the Jews are to be believed. <laughs> there was also a historian that we know of as Josephus, not a saved man, Jewish historian. He said this about this. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary is an actual historical event. Facts are stubborn things, John Adams said. Whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. And though Satan and the atheist and the modernist and the theological liberal and the apostate of all ages try to deny it and discredit it, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ did die on the cross. And it's immovable. It's immovable. The immovability of the death of the cross. How about the iniquity of the death of the cross? Or we could say, what, why did Jesus die? What caused this death on the cross? John 18, verse 30, And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Well, first of all, Pastor, when I think of the iniquity of the cross, I think of Rome. Rome. Crucifixion was a method of death employed by the empire of Rome to strike terror into their subjects. It was a weapon which discouraged dissent and persuading one rather to conformity to the emperor's decrees. At the time of Christ, the most likely candidates for crucifixion were hardened criminals, poor folks often resorting to thievery, runaway slaves and defeated enemies. When the Roman general Titus laid siege to Jerusalem in A.D. 70, he crucified so many Jews that it was said that he ran out of places and trees for crosses. Josephus, this historian, said the Roman leader crucified every Jew who was captured outside the city during the siege and killed as many as 500 a day in a siege which lasted three months. Even the Romans recognized how deplorable this form of execution was. Crucifixion was based on 
breaking some sort of Roman law. But not only the iniquity of the death of the cross was for, had to do with Rome, but it had to do, ladies and gentlemen, with redemption. Redemption. See, the word redeem has so much meaning. If we could uh, boil it all down and run it through a funnel, it would be the word redeem means to buy back. To buy back. In the Old Testament, there were three objects that could be buyed back, three different things that could be bought back. Uh, a servant could be bought back, according to Leviticus 25. A wife could be bought back, according to Deuteronomy chapter 25. And of course, we know Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And a piece of land could be bought back, Leviticus 25, 25. However, the person doing the buying back had to have the power to redeem, they had to have the right to redeem, and they had to have the will to redeem. And I want to tell you something, when it comes to our redemption, when it comes to the iniquity of the cross, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one who redeemed us. And through the creation, man belonged to God. Through the fall in Genesis chapter 3, man sold himself into slavery uh, back to Satan. And because of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood and bought us back. He bought us back. Many of you may enjoy the writings of C.S. Lewis. I remember the first book uh, we were in well, just in grade school and in reading class and Mrs. Oleksak read to us The Lion The Witch and The Wardrobe in C.S. Lewis's book The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe Edmund had been enslaved by the white witch he'd been foolish and rebellious and evil and traitorous and had fallen under her power when the great lion Aslan came to rescue him, the wicked witch reminded him of the deep magic that was written on the table of stone that every traitor belonged to her and she had the right to the blood of every sinner. But to the amazement of all, after Aslan spoke to her privately, she let the boy go and renounced her claim. Later that night, Aslan surrendered himself to the witch's camp. They took him and shaved off his magnificent mane, ridiculed him, beat him, spat upon him, tied him to the table of stone. The witch wetted her knife, drew near, and plunged it into the lion's heart, killing him. In the distance, Aslan's friends, Lucy and Susan, cried and cried. And the next morning, they arrived sadly to recover his body. But they found the stone table broken. And the body of Aslan was nowhere to be seen. Suddenly they turned around and found him larger than they had ever seen him. Shaking his magnificent mane fully and physically alive. They hugged and kissed him weeping for joy. Then asked him, but Aslan, what does it mean? This was Aslan's reply from Lewis. It means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, that the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. 
Say, what is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? It's an allegory of Calvary. Because, listen, the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our own redemption, all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it was my sin. It was your sin. It was the sins of all mankind throughout all the ages that caused the death of the cross. For as much as ye know, 1 Peter 1.18 19 says, Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold from the vain conversation received from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without spot and without blemish. You know, one day I look forward to this day. One day we're going to sing a new song, Pastor. But it's really going to be the same old song. Say, what's the new song? Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to open the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, Jesus Christ redeemed us from Satan's marketplace of sin by the shedding of his blood, the death of the cross. The immovability of the death of the cross. The iniquity of the death of the cross. The inhumanity of the death of the cross. Crucifixion tested the limits of human endurance. First of all, the victim was scourged. There was often a pole in the city center, a post, a, a large post where the, the, the crucifixion victim would, would put their arms around and they would tie their hands. And, and the reason they did that was so that every bit of their skin on their back would be stretched out for what they were about to do. Quoting Josephus again, the scourging was done by professional men. The strokes were never one on top of another but always one after another. Approximately at equal distance, Jesus must have been bound in such a way that he was rigid in an almost immovable position. He could not twist himself around or avoid the blows. What we see on, his, on the shoulders of our Lord are only black spots. In reality, by the time the soldiers had finished applying the scourging, the body of Jesus was covered with blood from the head down to the feet. When the soldiers untied our Lord from the column or the rope, probably Jesus fell to the ground exhausted and may have remained there for some time. The scourging, first the victim was scourged, second the victim carried their cross. We're not talking about uh, 20 or 30 pounds here. We're talking about probably a 2 to 250 pound tree. Rugged. John 19, 16, and 17. Then delivered he him therefore to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went to the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. The, cross, the crucifixion tested the limits of human endurance. It was man's cruelest form of death. It believed to have been started by the Egyptians, but it was definitely perfected by the Romans. 
many times, not all the time, but many times, spikes were driven through the victim's hand and feet to hold them to the cross. The victim's raw back would be raked up and down on the old rugged cross. A victim hung for hours. The victim's legs were usually broken to speed up suffocation. Most cross victims died of slow suffocation. They would hang and their lungs would become inoperable until they would grab those spikes and pull themselves up just for breath. And that's why when they broke their legs, they couldn't do that anymore. Why did Jesus subject himself to such an inhumane death? Because there's a real hell, ladies and gentlemen. It's not the figment of preachers' imaginations. And I don't care what any Russellite, any Jehovah's Witness, any soul sleeper out there says, there's a real hell. And if you want to see it, look what Jesus endured. He endured everything that a man will endure for hell for all eternity. There's a payment that must be made for sin. And you know why most of all? Because He loves you. And He loves me. And He doesn't want us to have to make that payment ourselves. So He made it for us. Great song, old song by Dottie Rambo. For what earthly reason would the heavenly Father send down His Son to suffer rejection and pay for crimes which He had not done? For what earthly reason would the Father let Him hang on the tree? I wept when the answer that one earthly reason was me. I was the reason that one earthly reason I was the guilty, he was the sacrifice. I was the beggar, he was the giver. Dying while I go free, that one earthly reason was me. The immovability of the death of the cross. The iniquity of the death of the cross. The inhumanity of the death of the cross. Number four, the incivility of the death of the cross. The victim of crucifixion was shown zero human compassion. Zero. I always think of that when I read Mark 15, verses 16 through 20. It says, And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Predatorium. And they called together the whole band. Hey, come on over. And they clothed him with a purple robe and platted a crown of thorns, jammed it into his forehead, is what they did, and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you what, if somebody takes one shot at you in your head, you're going to put your hand up the next time. A reed, a stick, walking stick. <clears throat> they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. I played soccer for a lot of years. And um, I hear people that never played, oh, it's just a wimpy sport and all that. Well, you don't play with any pads. They, you know, clip each other's Achilles tendons 
Pastor, one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen was in a soccer game. Somebody was trying to get under another guy's skin, and he spit right in his face. Literally turned around, had spit just drooling off his face. Just unbelievable. They spit on the perfect son of God, ladies and gentlemen. These, these Roman soldiers just... And then it says, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. No pity. No civility whatsoever. The death of the cross. It isn't what we see in pictures, ladies and gentlemen. That little picture of Jesus with two little bloody spots. No the immovability of the death of the cross, the iniquity of the death of the cross, the inhumanity of the death of the cross, the incivility of the death of the cross. I think of the indignity of the death of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, tells us, those of us that know him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen, church? Boy, when you get your eyes on self, you'll be discouraged. You get your eyes on other people, you'll be disappointed. You put your eyes on Jesus and you'll be delighted. But then it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross victim, the the malefactor, was many times stripped completely naked. Sometimes the condemned person, the the historian Schneider writes, was stripped of his clothes and they were divided among the executioners. The very purpose of crucifixion was utter humiliation of the condemned. What would be more humiliating than to strip a person naked? But among the Jews, nakedness, particularly nakedness in public, was considered exceeding sinful. Think about our Lord on the cross, stripped down his mother right there. The indignity of the death of the cross. I want you to notice next the incomparability of the death of the cross. First of all, I believe Jesus' sufferings, Pastor, were incomparable. I believe that no one has ever suffered like Jesus has. No one. Isaiah 1.6 says, From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed up, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Isaiah 52.14 says, As many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any other man, and his form more than the sons of men. When Jesus died for your sins and mine, he barely even resembled a man. He'd been so savagely beaten. Think of the suffering as incomparable. But think about this, ladies and gentlemen. You know what else is incomparable? The satisfaction because of the death of the cross. Do you know if a man would die and go to hell, and men do it every day, every second, and be in hell for a million years, they would never satisfy God for their sins. Never. 
Dismiss this thought from your mind, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a biblical thought. There is no purgatory where you burn for a while and then go to heaven. No. We have made our choice when we take our last breath. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, speaking of Christ's death on the cross 700 years before it happened, the Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Say, what does that mean? That means that the only thing that ever satisfied God for a payment for sin was the death of His Son on the cross. The only thing. Listen to me, if you're here today and and you say, well, listen, I've been baptized, that will not satisfy God. If you're here today and you'll say, you say, you know what, I'm a church, I'm actually a member of this church, that will not satisfy God for your sin. If you say, hey, look, I do a lot of good works, I help out a lot, that will not satisfy God for your sin. You say, listen, I give to charity and I give a lot, listen to me, that will not satisfy God for your sin. Reform will not satisfy God. Turning over a new leaf, only the death of the cross satisfies God. For our sin. And all you need to do is receive it. Isn't that the glorious part? The immovability of the cross. The iniquity of the cross. The inhumanity of the cross. The incivility of the cross. The indignity of the cross. The incomparability of the cross. And then lastly and most gloriously, the immensity of the death of the cross. Say, where do you get that, Pastor? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world that we were already condemned before He ever came. In trespasses and sin. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Let's bring it all home. If you're here today, and you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6-2, today is the day of salvation. Today. See, it's as simple as this. It's as simple as understanding that you and I are sinners. I say you and I because I'm a sinner. I'm, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word all, we used to have a Bible college professor. He'd say, you know what all means in the Greek? And we said, no, what? He said, it means all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 tells us. That is, listen, if you and I are sinners and we agree that we are, we owe the wage, we owe the payment. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
See, Jesus Christ came, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, and died the death of the cross to pay the wage that you and I owe. God commendeth his love toward us, Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were yet sinners, we know that, sinners owing the payment of sin, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for us. Christ died in our place. He died for you and I. But you can know all that, listen to me, and still die and go to hell. Lots of people know all that, Pastor. How do I make sure I'm on my way to heaven? Receive him. By faith, receive him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 25 years ago, this coming February, Pastor, I sat in a service just like this, heard a sermon like this. And come time of invitation in my pew, I said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please save me. I didn't, I didn't know all the theology, Pastor. I just knew I was a sinner, and I knew I was heading for hell, and I knew Jesus was the Savior. You know what? Knowing that's enough to get you to heaven. You're here today, and you've never trusted Christ. The death of the cross isn't just some random historical event. It was for you. Christian, maybe it's been a little while since you thought about the cross. Maybe it's been a little while. Maybe it's a little while since you shared the gospel with another person. You know, that person that you won't share the gospel with. I, listen, I, I understand about being tactful and trying to, to, to work it in. I, trust me, I understand that. Some people shut you down at the front door. Well, try to go around the back door and try to go in the side window with the gospel. I understand that. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You realize what Jesus Christ went through. He went through that because hell is so awful. There's people around us, people in our lives that need the gospel, and you're the one to give it to them. The death of the cross. Father, bless now in this invitation time. We pray, God, if there's one here that knows not Christ, I pray that they would humble themselves and just simply admit what we've all admitted at one time or another was the fact that we were lost and without you. Pray that you would please bless those that know you as their own personal Savior, but perhaps just haven't had a glimpse of the cross in a long time. May not one grieve, quench, or resist, Holy Spirit, what you're trying to do in their lives right now. Bless the invitation time. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, our sister playing that great hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.